technology is undoubtedly the best thing that has happened to mankind laptops tablets wearables gaming consoles music players and the endless list of smart devices have become so integral to making our lives easy and exciting but do we get to see tech from the maker's perspective in this podcast we will be looking at all the technology news and discuss how the makers of tech are trying to vie for a spot in our ever increasing technology ammunition i am bharatwaj and this is tech talk weekly Hello everybody and welcome to the 7th episode of Tech Talk Weekly. This episode is being recorded on the 9th of November and we'll be looking at the most exciting technology news that grabbed our attention in the last few weeks. So here's all the news lined up for this episode. With the first round of reviews out, we take a look at the all new iPhone quadruplets and discuss the sheer power of the device that just obliterates every other smartphone in the market. Qualcomm announces the Snapdragon 690, a budget 5G chipset for entry to mid-range smartphones. We take a look at the processor and discuss what it would mean for the rest of the market. OnePlus launches the N10 5G and N100 under the Nord brand while co-founder Calpay exits the company. We take a look at the new devices and how this shift poses few challenges to OnePlus's competitive advantage. With the new year about 50 days away, Samsung Galaxy S21 leaks start to emerge. Is Samsung once again course correcting based on Apple's moves with the iPhone 12? Apple could be working on its own search engine to replace Google as the company continues to gain greater control over its ecosystem. We take a look at Apple's mighty ecosystem strategy and how it could decimate device manufacturers if it so intends to. The first topic is about the slew of reviews out for the iPhone 12 series of handsets and to recap Apple launched the iPhone 12 a couple of weeks ago and there were quite a few good things that they introduced with the device while none by any means were jaw dropping quite a few introductions definitely helped move the needle in the right direction of smartphone evolution let's in fact start with the most an exciting change in the iPhone which is the smaller battery size and just to address the elephant in the room yes the battery capacity drop has hit the device's endurance but not to the extent that most of us expected to again i'll take these initial reports with a grain of salt because without mainstream adoption of 5g in whatever part of the world that you are in the device is never put to test to its entirety and this reminds me of one of the features that they introduced with the iphone which is to switch instantly between 4g and 5g when required and this in theory is fantastic because the biggest pro of 5g is data speeds and we feel the bump in speed only if we were to download large files so that that really makes sense and definitely does a world of good to battery battery endurance on the topic of 5g again as expected all the iphones are 5g devices so the device is future proof and will definitely last you 4 to 5 years This is music to ears for most folks in the Apple ecosystem who hold on to their devices for say 4 or over 5 years. What I'm really excited about is that anything that Apple makes mainstream the rest of the world is forced to follow suit. So be it the pressure it puts on the telecom providers to roll out 5G quickly or the pressure it puts on other smartphone manufacturers to adhere to the new standards 
I think it's it's in some ways a great move to make 5G the standard going forward and with Qualcomm introducing more budget smartphone processors with 5G I'm I'm happy that 5G will not be a mechanism to move away from the budget smartphones where you're forced to pay a lot more to enjoy 5G and coming back to the point of 5G of course it offers gigabit speeds on the iPhone courtesy of the Qualcomm manufactured X55 modem so in some ways the biggest beneficiary in 5G adoption will be Qualcomm um because they seem to manufacture most of the 5G 5G modems be it Android device for Android devices or the iPhones now now let's move on to the more exciting parts of the device and certain things were that really caught me excited of course the first thing is the design itself i really liked apple going back to the apple 4 of 5 days which which had a rectangular form factor which is really beautiful with those chamfered edges and i'm a big fan of the blue color device it was launched the device is built tougher than its predecessor which again goes without saying but this will definitely not be a device you'll carry without a case wrapped around it just for safekeeping the second feature that got me really excited was the a14 bionic itself i mean what can i really say because apple is so ahead in the silicon race that it just humiliates the others in the market for starters it's the it's the world's first commercially available 5 nanometer chip on a smartphone so that's that's something that's innovative that apple is doing this time around or it's bringing something new to the market so what does this actually mean i mean what does a 5 nanometer chip on a processor mean so just just for a comparison um the current 5 nanometer processor is 1/18th the size of the process uh, the the chip that apple started with or the processing that apple started with and in in terms of the tech itself the smaller the process the less the power lost due to resistance which generates less heat in turn and the electrons travel a shorter distance to complete the circuit so in in layman terms it equates to greater speed less energy used and a cooler cpu and gpu resulting in the chip running to its potential for longer duration before being throttled uh, due to overheating for comparison apple uses a different version of the a14 on the ipad air 4 which really obliterates most pcs and laptops in the market when it comes to performance so imagine a mobile optimized version of the same chipset and there would be no debate on how powerful the iphones would be the silicon is at the core of some of the most awesome things that the iphone can do this year and and let's start with the camera and take a look at how Apple is using all of this computer computing power uh, in the device. Firstly, the computing power helps uh, Apple make use of machine learning models to enhance photos with deep fusion image stacking that uh, combines multi exposures more quickly than ever to to enhance lighting and color that is so really important to make the image really true to life and add to that better dynamic range for the image. um makes makes it a complete package so dynamic range again is basically the difference between the darkest spot in an image versus the brightest spot in the image and hdr or high dynamic range improves the range of color and contrast in a digital image talking about hdr the iphone can record 4k dolby certified hdr video at 60 frames per second um i mean when i read this i was like wow this this is something that is 
that is so awesome that we haven't heard of in any computing a mobile computing device ever before and that's got to do with the sheer power of the A14 that's doing the talking all along i mean for context this color grading process is used in the movie industry and is normally done in post production now for all of it to happen on the iPhone 12 as the video is being recorded is is just an example of the insane computing power in the smartphone before moving on one thing that i would also like to reiterate is hdr video recording is a new in smartphone photography of lots of phones have been shooting in hdr in the past and hdr of course has different standards like hdr 10 um there's there's technicolor there's hlg and one such standard is dolby vision so it would be incorrect to say apple introduced hdr video in phones but the 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 most accurate representation will be that apple was the first to introduce 4k dolby vision certified 60 frames per second hdr videos staying on the camera tech the pro version of the iphones have lidar sensors lidar again stands for light detection and ranging what it basically does is the scanner fires a laser light and measures the time it takes to return to the sensor to detect detect the distance and with this the phone is able to create a 3d map mapping of the object in focus and it's got immense data about the the object that it's been projected at so the potential that lidar offers is innumerable uh, for instance the phones the phone can reconstruct a three dimensional map from the scan and use it to assist with say maybe photography even allowing portrait photos to be taken in the combination with night mode which was impossible in the past lidar also provides the absolute best ar experience since there is no need to move the phone from one side to the other for several seconds to orient the device to the object uh, thanks to the a14 and lidar this process of being able to capture all of this is nearly instantaneous so this allows for easier mobile development of ar the measurements of real life structures and systems for various processes and purposes these are just early days of ar research and these new phones will really speed up the process dramatically just taking a look at how apple influences the scale of evolution of technology in general the the other thing that really caught my attention is the sheer sheer resume of the computing power and these numbers in some ways reiterates what the phone is capable of doing in real life let let me actually read out uh, the release and what it talks about especially pertaining to the tech that goes into the device apple mentions that there are 11.8 billion transistors a 16 core neural engine capable of 11 trillion operations per second this 80% faster deep fusion 70% faster dedicated machine learning accelerators and image signal processing that of course allows 4k hdr recording with dolby vision smart hdr and advanced temporal noise reduction i mean at this point i'm i'm really in loss of words because the a13 bionic was undoubtedly the fastest mobile processor out there and today a14 is really improving significantly on an already compelling a13 bionic so the important takeaway is that apple has a huge lead in mobile processing power and it may finally be tapping into that in a potential that may really benefit the uh, end user the a14 is the best smartphone chip currently available and it's powering some of the most impressive camera and ar tech to ever be put on a smartphone be it iphone or otherwise so 
here's here's my final takeaway on on the iPhone 12 of course it's it's a fantastic device no doubt about it it's 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 indeed the best iPhone that Apple has ever made and this again goes without saying every other year what Apple is doing in the smartphone market by virtue of its business model as 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 the creator of the Apple platform ecosystem is something that's going to get a lot of companies who are mere smartphone manufacturers to rethink their business model um of course i'll be i'll be talking in the subsequent segment um about how apple can progressively wipe out a vast percentage of smartphone manufacturers especially in the premium segment if if it only intended to but but coming back to the iphone itself it's a great device worth the upgrade if you're coming from say an iphone 10 or prior if you're coming from any other device launched after those phones the leap will not be as significant unless your use cases demand the bump in computing power and the camera prowess for the others i would recommend sitting out this edition and wait for the iphone 13s which are sure to come with a high refresh rate displays and of course a lot more bells and whistles So the next topic is about Qualcomm announcing the Snapdragon 690, the company's first 6 series silicon equipped with 5G. And this is a big move in the context of 5G and how 5G will be considered mainstream in as early as say 2021. I mean, when I was thinking of 5G and the fact that it was restricted to the 8 and the 7 series processors, my first thought was these are going to be used to attract entry level smartphone consumers to spend a little bit more and have them purchase say 400 to 500 dollar devices when their budgets could have hovered anywhere between 300 and 350 dollars while i did anticipate 5g to really trickle down to the 300 dollar segment over the course of 2021 or even 2022 i'm i'm really surprised to see devices ship with 5g at the 300 dollar price point again these are speculations at this point usually the 6 series processors are uh are the kind of internals that you would see in a $300 smartphone so i'm assuming that this processor will make its way into $300 devices we already have devices from the OnePlus as a part of their Nord series and there's an LG device if, if i recall correctly it's it's the LG K92 5G and of course there are rumors of many other manufacturers looking to introduce budget 5G phones On the one side I'm happy that 5G will not be a feature that is restricted to more expensive devices and on the other hand this will most certainly pave way for a drop in prices of the processors with 5G since we are trending towards 5G becoming mainstream and no longer a premium or or a coveted feature The smartphone prices again have gotten insanely high and Two of the most expensive components are largely taking the blame. One being the display, and the other being the silicon. So it's nice to see Qualcomm looking to offer a lot in its mid-range processors, and in some ways, help stop these iterative spec bump-led price increases. Again, coming to the Snapdragon 690, there's there's more than what meets the eye. It's it's not just about 5G, but these processors are extremely capable. for instance it has the ability to shoot 4k hdr videos and and if i'm not wrong this is probably the first time that a 6 series processor is able to do that again the silicon may be insanely capable we'll have to see if manufacturers are going to let this 
premium feature percolate into the budget offering so they could really while 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 the silicon has the capability to do it the manufacturer may resort to not including that particular feature in the phone that they would be launching coming back to the processor uh, when i take a look at all the bells and whistles this soc comes with there's more than 70% improvement in the ai performance compared to its predecessor there's this more importantly the isp seems to have been one of the bigger beneficiaries from the new processor the 690 brings the qualcomm spectra 355l image signal processor which is 14 bit and can support an array of camera combinations it can capture slow motion video at hd resolution and 240 frames per second it can capture formats such as hdr10 hlg hevc it can record up to 10 bit color depth um so it's it's going to really help manufacturers smartphone manufacturers include very compelling cameras in in smartphones which are going to be equipped with the 6 series processors something which wasn't the case in the past so this is that, that's going to be really exciting going forward as far as the gpu goes it uses the improved adreno 619l which offers up to 60% faster graphics rendering compared to the 675 mobile platform which is again the predecessor of the 690 series it's got an improved cryo 560 which offers 20% performance improvement compared to its predecessor it supports 120 hertz full hd display so i think this is again a first for a 6 series processor and i hope this pushes more brands to bring the 120 hertz display to to the budget line and when i look at this particular feature being called out by the soc manufacturer it gives me a lot more confidence because not all cynic silicons from the past were optimized for high refresh rate displays and i have seen some stutters in devices so this should really help alleviate all of these problems pertaining to running high refresh rate displays in budget smartphones as far as connectivity is concerned it's got uh, dual wifi antennas that is wifi 6 ready again wifi 6 was something restricted to flagships now it's making its way to the 6 series so there's very high chance that the budget phones uh, could get so good in 2021 that people may have little reason other than the cameras to look for more expensive devices coming to the clock speed or the horsepower of the cpu itself it's clocked at up to 2 gigahertz and it's built on the 8 nanometer process the processor is 64 bit as expected it comes with bluetooth 5.1 so it's nice to see that even the 6 series processor is getting the latest and greatest despite being a mid-range processor So in short I would say it's a very very compelling 6 series processor that that would start making its way into mid tier or even budget 5G smartphones. I personally am really really happy with the progress Qualcomm is making year on year not with not just with its flagship processors the 7 or the 8 series processors um but they're also doing some great stuff starting even at the 6 series processors to make device manufacturers introduce price point uh, smartphones at all price points because now they have the 8 series for flagships some some sort of a uh, affordable flagship with the 7 series and the 6 series in some ways are are mid-range smartphones and then you have maybe the 4 series which would bring in the budget smartphones so closing comments this is indeed a fantastic mid-range offering from Qualcomm it really sets the stage for the others in the industry to come up with their 2021 offerings in fact I'm now more excited to see what MediaTek and Samsung have lined up for 2021 and we may not have to wait for that long considering both of them have events planned for for the upcoming week.
Moving on to the next topic, we've started to see leaks about the Galaxy S21 handset and with the leaks flowing rapidly in that too so ahead of time, there are speculations that the device will be launched as early as January 2021, probably during the Consumer Electronics Show. And this is not the first time that we've heard of rumors of the S series launching in January because this is something that we get to hear just about every year. But this time there may be more to it than just being a rumor. So Samsung has had a very torrid time moving the Galaxy S20s and the Note 20s off the shelf and thanks in large part to the pandemic-led negative economic sentiment. In fact, Samsung sold very few devices compared to what they'd expected to sell even after factoring the COVID-19 impact. And recently there was news that Samsung has cut down the production of the Note line and has resorted to cutting the price of the S20s and the Notes by as much as 35% in some markets, indicating the struggles of pushing the device. There are many reasons for the drop in sales and of course the pandemic is the most obvious one, but the more important factor which seems to have gotten magnified is the ever-increasing price of smartphones and they have continued to climb over $1000 for no real reason. If you look at the flagships that were launched in 2020, 5G was the key marketing focal point for all brands and they conveniently blamed 5G and Qualcomm for the increase in prices. While that was true in a large part, Apple's introduction of the 5G iPhones at the same price point as last year really challenged this claim. And to that, the iPhones had significantly better proposition on offer with better cameras and much faster processors, OLED displays and more importantly the products were available across multiple price points. And if if his if my memory serves me right, this is probably the first time Apple has thrown all but the kitchen sink with their product launch. The S20s and the Note 20s on the other hand started to look a little dated on certain parameters but in all fairness the 20s are still amazing devices but since apple is the market maker samsung or any other smartphone manufacturer has to match apple punch to punch to even be mentioned in the same conversation understandably so samsung is looking to come up come to the market really early but i personally feel that Apple would have already cashed in on the hype before the Galaxy start flooding the market. For context, the flagship smartphone segment thrives on hype, so the latest is considered the greatest, leaving the other older devices in dust. While stealing Apple's thunder could be one of the objectives of the early launch, the other is also to capture the void left by Huawei's forced exit from the global smartphone market. So the early launch is both an attempt to defend existing market share from Apple while also looking to tap into the void that Huawei's left by abandoning its existing customers. Whatever the theories could be, it, it is always intriguing to see how dominant a force Apple is and how effortlessly they can unsettle the big players in the market, the likes of Samsung and Sony and LG by making those moves which really shake up the smartphone market. 
now that we have really talked about the possible rationale behind the early launch let's quickly take a look at the leaked product specification of the S21s first bit of information is about the display and the S21 Ultra's leak suggests the device can simultaneously run at 120 hertz refresh rate and quad hd resolution so why is this a big deal this is a big deal because the S20s did not come with these features and the customers were to pick between the higher resolution or the higher refresh rate but couldn't have both with the S21s this is made possible and this in large part was a limitation of the Exynos processors that the, that Samsung makes and these processors are used in phones that the brand launches in countries other than US Canada and South Korea while these three countries get chipsets manufactured by Qualcomm while the Qualcomm chipsets are capable of running both high resolution and high refresh rates Samsung in an attempt to maintain this parity amongst the entire S20 line ditched this feature even for the Qualcomm powered devices so the possibility of powering a high resolution and high refresh rate display in conjunction is more to do with the limitation of the Exynos processors than anything else so in terms of cameras the S21 Ultra is expected to come with a 108 megapixel primary sensor uh, which is able to shoot videos in 1080p at 240 frames per second 4k at 120 frames per second and 8k at 30 frames per second as far as selfie duties are concerned there's a 40 megapixel camera on the front there were also rumors that samsung may bring back the time of flight sensor and this was especially after it launched the isocell vision 33d tof sensor or is it called vision isocell vision 33d tof which boasts of a four tap demodulation system that it says solves the problem of fast moving objects so the sensor receives four phase signals at the same time covering 0 degrees 90 degrees 180 degrees and 270 degrees this practically means that even with just a single frame it can generate depth image that can be used for things like 3d scanning the bokeh effects and ar and vr applications and with this in some ways samsung is looking to compete with Apple's lidar sensor and the use cases that it is able to address. So to recap on the S20 Ultra in fact a device that faced a lot of flack for its 108 megapixel camera and its focus hunting issues. So this upgrade is potentially to address this issue and and really not replicate what happened in the past. I mean in the past they had to push software updates to really try and fix the issue but then there was there was a realization that it was a hardware issue and they really couldn't do much about it so hopefully all of this is addressed with the S21 prior to the launch so that everybody who's invested their money on the device gets the best that is there in the market so based on the few leaks and rumors it looks like the S21 is a reasonably good upgrade but what i'm really waiting to see is how much has samsung's in-house silicon the exynos evolved after all the flack it has got in the last one year that for me will be the game changer the exynos had a lot of issues pertaining to performance thermal management and energy efficiency 
So I really hope that Samsung was able to solve all of that. And in some ways, the processor competes with the Snapdragon 875 in all of the above parameters that I just stated. Other than that, the Samsung device had really nothing to improve on. Of course, iterative upgrades are going to happen. The UI has evolved manifold and since the One UI 2.5, Samsung has probably taken the crown for the best UI from OnePlus. So for me personally, as long as Samsung addresses the elephant in the room, which is their in-house silicon, everything will fall in place. So if they get their silicon right, improve on an already amazing camera, and keep the prices well under $1,000, Samsung will once again be the brand to beat in the world of Android smartphones in 2021. Moving on to the next topic, this is about OnePlus launching the N10 5G and the N100 under the Nord brand. And this was something OnePlus had talked about when the OnePlus Nord had a limited release in Asia. And they had said that they have specific offerings for markets like the US and now seems to be the right time for them to really unveiling those devices. Let's quickly take a look at both devices and what they bring to the table before I share my point of view on the Nord strategy. Firstly, the OnePlus Nord N10 5G and N100 have been announced as the first models in the company's Nord N series. Again, maybe OnePlus is trying to tear the Nord series as well because the ones launched in India, if I remember correctly, just said OnePlus Nord and had no mention of the N series. So it'll be interesting to see how the devices under the Nord sub-brand will go about differentiating their positioning strategy. Coming back to the device, the Nord N10 5G, as the name suggests, comes with 5G support as well as a 90Hz display. And the Nord N100, on the other hand, has 4G LTE and a standard LCD panel. Both the Nord devices come with octa-core processors and offer stereo speakers. So these are broadly the specifications of, of the Nord devices that were launched by OnePlus. My quick observation, of course, I'm happy to see stereo speakers making its way back to the budget phones. Again, this is not the first time. I, I still remember the days of the ZTE Axon 7, which had dual front firing speakers with a dedicated DAC and amp, and was also priced at under $400. And it really reminded us of how much studio speakers really can impact your media consumption experience. Uh, but again, it's nice, like, nice to see the likes of OnePlus and even Realme introducing stereo speakers in their budget offering because, like I said, stereo speakers really improves the media consumption experience manifold. Coming back to what the, the founder of OnePlus said during the launch, more so from a rational of why they went about launching the OnePlus Nord, he says the device represents the next step in their strategy to expand their smartphone offerings across multiple price points and they also want more users to have a hassle-free experience without really sacrificing on the quality. While the N10 5G comes with the recently announced Snapdragon 690, the N100 comes with the Snapdragon 460. And like I said, initially the displays are Full HD in case of the N10 5G that refreshes at 90Hz. And N100 has a HD plus display, which is LCD and it refreshes at 60Hz. The most interesting spec for me was the introduction of the micro SD card slot, something that 
OnePlus hasn't done since its one and done OnePlus X days. So that's a nice move to see and really want to see how OnePlus is able to maintain these experiences despite having external storage capabilities. And lastly, both the devices come with headphone jacks. So thank you OnePlus. It's nice to see that customers don't have to buy dongles or Bluetooth headphones when they are purchasing uh, the new OnePlus devices. When I look at the two devices, to be fair, there's nothing really great to write home about. The phones have good hardware and knowing OnePlus's software provides these devices could well be considered the software benchmarks of entry-level smartphones, especially with the N100. Again, before moving on, let, let's look at the pricing of the devices. The N10 is priced at $400, while the N100 is priced at around $200. For quick comparison, the OnePlus Nord launched in India was priced at about $300 and it brought with it a better SoC in the Snapdragon 765G. It had a full HD AMOLED display that refreshed at 90Hz, making it a better proposition than the N10. Overall, these are good devices for the US, more so because they do not have access to bang-for-buck devices launched by the likes of say Realme or Xiaomi or even Moto. So in, in that sense, these are good compelling offerings by OnePlus. Uh, now that we've covered the device, let's talk about OnePlus's strategy with the Nord. And this strategy is something that's really not new for manufacturers and more so for the ones like OnePlus. Uh, the, the ones that I can really quickly recall are Xiaomi, uh, the brand that created the Redmi line. And of course, even Samsung created its M series and A series to really demarcate the budget offerings or their bang for buck offerings from their more expensive flagships. So with the Nord, OnePlus can adopt a strategy which is really independent of the potential repercussions uh, leading to cannibalization within the OnePlus brand. Um, the introduction of the Nord is a fundamental change in OnePlus's strategy, which, which was so much in line with what Apple was doing, which is to maintain a very lean product line. But with Apple also flexing its muzzles across price points, this may have instigated OnePlus to have products across multiple price points or risk not being considered by potential consumers. In fact, OnePlus had once said that they'll manufacture only flagships and even ended up bringing down their OnePlus X series, which was their first attempt with a budget offering. This strategy has worked really, really well for OnePlus, in fact. They, they were known as one of the most reliable smartphone brands that supported their devices longer um, with, with fastest software updates in the market, barring Google's own pixels. So the identity of OnePlus was really resting more on UX than, say, the sheer specifications of the devices something that is also core to Apple's product marketing approach. Now, by having a very broad product line catering to multiple price segments with multiple processes and internals, multiple localization elements, it is, it's in some ways going to put significant pressure on OnePlus's software teams, something that they really haven't been used to owing to the lean product line that the brand was known for. Again, in some ways, they're, they're moving away from an identity that made them one of the most sought-after smartphone brands and 
ironically at the time when the N10 and N100 were launched i think it was also at the time when the AT was launched Carl Pei the co-founder of the company decided to leave OnePlus while there there really isn't any official confirmation on why he left the company it it looks like it was a difference of opinion on how the brand would progress um again this is mere speculation at this point because Carl again may have been okay with having a OnePlus Nord series and have maybe say one or two devices out but again I'm happening to wonder if OnePlus is planning to launch a barrage of smartphones under the Nord brand and probably that didn't go well with Carl and he wasn't against he was probably against diluting OnePlus's equity in the smartphone market but when you look at Carl's Carl's parting note by no means does it hint any any sort of displeasure and he in fact thanks Pete Lau the founder of OnePlus for the opportunity that he was provided so all this is mere speculation at this point but again we we really don't have answers so really look forward to see where Carl heads because he's expected to start his own company we'll have to see what he's doing uh the fact of the matter is OnePlus is moving towards becoming just another smartphone brand and it also tells one of the more compelling or i would say more important rules of the, of business if you really want to be profitable and want to continue to improve your margin you you really can't afford to be a niche or an enthusiast brand um while when the word may really laud you for your product I think you'll have fewer takers in the market and that really doesn't add up to the company's financial growth. In fact, if you look at OnePlus's approach in the last 2-3 years, they they started to invest more on marketing, they brought in a lot more celebrities to endorse their product. They took questionable decisions like ditching the headphone jack when their entire community asked them to keep it. Um they were also they also decided to move away from near stock experience. to say a new ui which had a little bit more flavored than their more favored clean user um, interface that they had prior to the OnePlus 6 they they also profusely launched identical phones twice a year when they initially said that the T version will exist only if there was something great to offer but if you look at the T versions in the last 2 years it really didn't bring anything great to the table In fact, all it helped the brand do was to slowly nudge the prices towards the prices of the uh, mainstream flagship devices offered by Apple and Samsung. So, OnePlus is is more and more become a brand that is putting promoters or owners' interests above everything else, and I'm really looking forward to see where they'll head from here. They're still making some of the best devices, no doubt, but. in the urge to become a mainstream smartphone vendor they are doing away with traits that help them differentiate themselves from the others in the market they were really a breath of fresh air in a market which had so many identical looking devices which were exorbitantly priced for no reason but now that those differences have really dwindled to almost nothing uh what are the competencies or the differentiators that OnePlus is really going to pivot on to become a dominant player in a highly fragmented android smartphone market i mean personally i really hope that oneplus gets to revisit its approach and they they're actually able to circle back 
to their ethos that made them India's most successful premium smartphone brand at one point in time. Moving on to the last segment, um, I, I came across this news that Apple could be working on its own search engine to replace Google. And this would be a significant move by Apple at a time when they are trying to gain greater control on everything that happens in their ecosystem. I mean, when we look at the more recent decisions by Apple, right? they, they moved to the Apple Silicon, ditching their long-standing partner Intel. Um, Post acquiring Beats, they have slowly started to sideline offerings from other brands and more recently stopped selling earphones and speakers made by Bose, Logitech, Sonos and Ultimate Ears to really free up shelf space for its own audio products. As a matter of fact, when they introduced the AirPods, they talked about how the W1 chip makes a world of difference when you are in the ecosystem, something no other normal Bluetooth headset or earphone could really compete with. The and also the, the proprietary lightning port and even, even the recently announced MagSafe chargers, which are the only means for the iPhones to benefit from fast charging. So fast wireless charging that is. So Apple has always been tightening the screws within the ecosystem to extends that they realize there's so much revenue potential courtesy of the services and accessories that you could sell once you get the customer on board your ecosystem. It's, it's not going to be far off before Apple does everything pertaining to the device. They've already taken over the heart of their computing devices with Apple Silicon. It's not going to be long before they acquire suppliers who provide the other expensive components like say the display or the storage. With, with control over the entire supply chain and component costs, Apple will have so much control over what goes into the iPhone or the iPad or any of its devices and also earn on every component it houses on these devices. So in, in the recent Apple event, Apple really talked about the iPhones at every price point, something they haven't talked about uh, in the past. I think they started doing this since last year. So the approach of Apple also talks about their desire to get a lot more people onto the Apple ecosystem. When they say that we have phones across price point, it shows that they want to use the iPhone to get people onto the ecosystem and pretty much invade their entire smart computing investments, home automation and the likes. It was just a couple of years ago that Apple stopped reporting device sales in their results because they knew that device sales cannot help determine a company's profitability, as in how many devices you sell don't accurately tell how well your business is doing, especially when you are in the platform business. So today you have iPhones from as low as $400 extending up to $1,500. While phone sales are an integral part of its revenues, Apple makes bulk of its revenues from services by charging both application developers as well as customers. So contrast that with Samsung, Apple's biggest rival in the smartphone market. Samsung relies almost entirely on device sales, while they could try tying it to their consumer electronic business and create an IoT of sorts. But these devices aren't sold through a subscription model and in the end it really doesn't provide a regular cash flow for the likes of Samsung. So they have to keep selling devices periodically to be able to make money. So 
just by the virtue of the business model that the Samsungs and the LGs of the world need to sell way more devices to make money, which means they they have to force product obsolescence faster, resulting in customer remorse, potentially making them switch to Apple or any other Android smartphone. As for Apple, uh, they are the only platform that owns the services, the device and on course to really owning every touch point of the customer. Compare that with Google. Google owns Android and its App Store and its entire business model is around monetizing customer data, uh, which means they have permitted OEMs to manufacture or produce smartphones running Android because for Google, the more the number of people on their platform, the more they can sell curated ads, the more they can make from their core business. And Google doesn't want to get its hands dirty with device manufacturing, considering its partners are way more efficient in doing that and also being able to cater to multiple price points across the globe. So for Google as a platform player, the primary key is to get as many people on their ecosystem. Uh, While the fundamental objective of platforms is to get a lion's share of their customers' time and spends, the approach of these companies that we spoke about is so different. For example, Apple sees no compelling business need to be on Android's ecosystem. But for Google, it's really imperative to be on Apple's platform just by the virtue of its business model. So when we compile all of what we've just discussed, it's it's very clear that device manufacturers need to sell more to survive and profit. Platform owners need to ensure that they have enough folks on their platform to improve their revenue per user. And Apple is the only company that does both. For example, Apple can decimate Samsung by offering the iPhones at very low prices because it can recoup those subsidies through the eventual sale of services, whereas Samsung doesn't have that luxury. Also, coming back to the topic of Apple introducing Apple Search, by doing this, Apple can entirely do away with Google as a default search engine provider on Safari. This would be massive for Google because Google ends up paying over $10 billion every year to Apple to be the default search engine on Safari. And that's because they make a humongous amount of money through their core business by being the default search provider on Safari. And data says that most people don't care what their search engine is and usually resort to searching on the default application. So with this move, Apple could really wipe off Google's most pivotal presence in the Apple ecosystem. So it would be very interesting to see how Apple goes about this. Would they really use or bring in their own search engine and monetize customer data? Something that is so against Apple and their ethos because going by how much they talk about the importance of user privacy, this is something that would be least expected of Apple. Or are they doing this in an attempt to secure a greater fee from Google to retain its spot as the default search engine provider. Again, these are the very, very exciting times. I mean, we started speaking about Apple coming or venturing into the search engine space and just had a look at the entire platform ecosystem and how it's really maturing. I mean, Apple is extremely powerful when we look at the computing ecosystem in general. If Apple realizes that the minimum revenue potential from a user far exceeds what they pay for an iPhone over a four-year period, Apple could resort to dropping the price of the iPhones and almost instantly send shivers down the spines of 
the other smartphone manufacturers who are entirely dependent on smartphone sales for their revenues and with subscription models helping big brands earn way more than they could with perpetual software licensing models it'll be very interesting to see how apple will look at its hardware business in the times of the subscription era So that's all the news we had planned for this episode of TikTok Weekly. Please do share your thoughts on the podcast. Your feedback definitely helps refine our content. We'll continue to work towards bringing all the exciting technology news and our views in a concise 40-minute format. Thanks for taking the time and listening to the TikTok Weekly. Until the next one, stay tech excited.